Welcome to the Memory Hole Show, where we talk about interesting ideas, promote freedom, and push back against authoritarianism. I'm your host, Brian. Welcome back to the Memory Hole Show, everyone. Well, by now, the kids have restocked their candy, and cavity season is about to hit us in the near future. Now, I'd like to start off by giving a shout-out to Just Jeff at Romans Road 101 on Twitter X. Thanks for retweeting my last episode. It really does help the show get past the algos. So chances are that if you listen to this show, you've probably felt like the West is going through a slow implosion. Everything appears to be upside down, especially when thinking about the toxic woke ideology that dominates society currently, which got me thinking about how do states fail? What are the signs of a failing state? So I fired up the internet and I found this article from thoughtco.com. The link's here in the show notes at memoryholeshow.com. And it had these three main points, and I'll start off with the first one. Failed states have become incapable of providing the basic functions of government, such as law enforcement and justice, military defense, education, and a stable economy. Now, for me, if this is a requirement to a failed state, I would say that generally speaking, most of these functions in Canada and in the US are mostly still intact. Yes, California lets people steal up to $1,000, which of course is bad. The economy is struggling as well. Now, obviously that's partly due to COVID, but more so it's the result of how governments were tinkering and screwing everything up during COVID. Now, this should be obvious for most people though, but pretty much everything the government touches, they screw up. Now, their second point is, Failed states have lost the trust of the people and tend to suffer from civil violence, crime, internal corruption, poverty, illiteracy, and crumbling infrastructure. Well, this one's easy. When Trump won in 2016, the Democrats said the election was stolen. And when Biden won in 2020, the Republicans said the election was stolen. Regardless of whether those elections were stolen or not, this indicates that people have lost the trust in the system. And I wouldn't say corruption has changed much. Those that seek power usually aren't the best sort of people. And if they started out with good intentions, the amount of power peddling they end up with will usually corrupt any person. Now, ThoughtCo's last point, factors contributing to state failure include insurgency, high crime rates, overly bureaucratic processes, corruption, judicial incompetence, and military interference in politics. So let's do a little comparison. Which country could build a safe nuclear reactor faster, China or the US? Sadly, China could. The US and most other Western countries are so mired in red tape and ever-increasing rules that it has crippled their ability to do anything effectively or quickly. Imagine trying to build New York City from scratch if the rules of today were applied. It would never get built. One thing in politics that is desperately needed is a way to garbage collect out rules. They only seem to be able to increase and never decrease. And that needs to change. Now, having read those three ideas, it did shed some light on what might be signs of a failing state, but it didn't seem to be enough for me. So I kept digging and I ran into this other article that seemed to capture a little more of what could lead a nation or the West in general into a death spiral. And although we do tend to see one or two of these signs at a time sometimes, the more that are checked off, the worse the diagnosis. So let's take a look. 
first. They become fixated on some form of ideology or mix of ideologies. It begins to divide people into who belongs and who doesn't belong and the beginnings of domestic social Darwinism. This is so apparent in society today that you would have to be blind or ignorant to miss it. Up until recently, change happened slowly. Women got the vote around 100 years ago. Seems odd to think of a time when women didn't have the vote to me. Rock and roll came about in mid last century. Grunge came about in late 20th century. The internet came about, well, it became widely available in the mid 90s. Smartphones showed up a decade or so later. But then this whole woke movement, which evolved from a variety of ideas like political correctness, showed up and all of a sudden it's trying to cut off your sexual parts. This movement gets normalized and taught to young school children. It becomes so powerful that anyone that opposes it gets canceled. They get laws passed in the form of hate speech to criminalize anyone who doesn't use their woke lingo. They other the people that don't play along and call their words violence. Step one, a very firm check. Let's look at step two. Second is the superiority of amusement. During this time, citizenry became more interested in being happy than to see what was going on around them. One word, smartphones. Sounds like two words, but apparently it's only one. Unlimited scrolling, entertainment, and porn. When you combine crafty dopamine releasing algorithms with a device like a smartphone, people aren't going to get much useful stuff done. Attention spans become short like squirrels hunting for nuts. Face-to-face -face interactions get replaced with emojis. Higher education does its best to become safe spaces where ideas you might not like won't ever be shown to you so you can remain in your state of false happiness. Geez, I'm old enough to remember when higher education was supposed to expand your mind, not toddlerize it. So step two, check. Step three, third, government corruption. Regardless of the type of government, the overall effect is that the rich and powerful and their associates acquire more wealth and power while the poor and ignorant become locked in a cycle. It's true that the left has always cried wolf about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And for most of capitalism's history, all boats rose with the tide of wealth. Some more than others, yes. But does it really matter how much more your neighbor makes than you if you also make more than you did before? To illustrate this idea, do this thought experiment with people and see what they answer. Their answer will tell you who the focus of attention is and how they believe the solution should be done. Here goes. You and your friend play a game and you both win a prize. But you have to choose the prize structure. The first prize structure is that you both win $1,000. Pretty good deal, right? The second prize structure is you win $2,000, but your friend wins $5,000. Which prize structure would you go with? Now, when I speak with older people or people that lean more to the right, they choose the second prize. Why not? You double your prize and your friend gets a huge payout. But when I speak with younger people or people that lean left, they tend to choose the first prize. Their thinking is equality of outcome. Why should somebody else win more than me? And what they seem to ignore is that they cost themselves 
a 50% loss in prize payout because of jealousy. Remember, there was always someone more fit, more pretty, more smart, more talented, and more rich than you. If you go about living your life as a comparison to others, you'll never achieve happiness. You should focus instead on being a better version of yourself than you were yesterday and the day before that. Now, giving credit to point three, when the game of capitalism becomes rigged and crony, all bets are off. And it seems like the people that aren't running the game are stuck in an endless loop. I'm still trying to figure out how my kids will ever be able to buy a house. It's doubtful they'll be able to do it in Canada. At least where it would be, you know, close to some sort of maybe mid-sized town with opportunities. So for point number three, I think we're on the way for sure. Here's point number four. Fourth, degrading public health. It's a short one. Now, for those that have always held Canada's socialist healthcare as the end-all be-all, consider these points. We have ridiculous wait times. When something is free at the point of consumption, it will be over-consumed. There are no monetary limits to slow down that consumption. So the only way to slow down the consumption is to put arbitrary limits, which are long wait times. Another tricky way to put limits is to remove services that are covered under the system. And that's what Canada does. They already have your money, so why, why would they rush to provide you the service? And as one extra bonus, which affected pretty much all the countries in the West, where the draconian rights violations via vaccine mandates and all the other sinister rules that were created to coerce people into taking the shot. I don't know if you can get a much more degraded system than that. So for that, item four is checked. Moving on to item five. The fifth one could be considered nutritional challenges and stratification. Along with the continual desire to be happy, food and the choices available to be made have made us fat as a society. Obesity, or consuming too many calories, is a major problem. All sorts of never-before-discovered health issues showed up when we got fat. It's an odd stage to be in, considering that for most of history, people starved from a lack of calorie intake, but the blame isn't only on the food being produced. Someone, aka you, has to shovel all these calories into their mouths. But if nutritional challenges are a sign or a step in the fall of a nation, how about limiting farmland? How would that contribute to the decline of a nation when they can't feed their people in the first place? It makes me wonder why the save the planet people that have power are limiting farming. Is their play to gain power and simultaneously lower the population? Or is this a way to push the plebes to eat bugs while the elites get to eat filet mignon? It makes me wonder. I have so many questions that will never be answered. So for step five, I would say it's well on its way. Item six, overexpansion along with jingoism or even nationalism makes up aspects of the sixth sign. Massive amounts of government wealth go towards controlling and propping up the territories militarily. This money all comes at the expense of infrastructure, the hindrance of research and development, and limiting the betterment and expansion of education. One of the stories I've always found interesting is how Japan, that literally got destroyed and nuked in World War II, recovered to become a more technologically advanced place than either Canada or the US. 
I guess this is the cost of being a superpower. On the one hand, I would probably not be saying this in English if they weren't a superpower, but money and wealth are always limited. There's only so much stored effort. And if you're building bombs or sending boatloads of money to Ukraine, then you can't spend it on infrastructure, medical and technological advancements or other social issues. So item six is definitely checked off by this standard. Now to finish off the list, we have point number seven. The last and seventh sign is the constant feeling of perpetual external warfare against the nation state. Populations lose their incentives to plan for the future when they don't know what the future might be or who may invade it. Now I know millennials get slammed all the time for being lazy, and maybe they are, but I do see how they could perceive the mountain they face to be insurmountable. Like I said earlier, my kids will probably have to marry rich or live with us until we die. This assumes, of course, that nothing in the equation changes and, well, with all the instability going on right now and the changes that we've seen over the last three years, that's unlikely to stay the same. But the scary part is how much collusion there is between the government and the mainstream media and social media that they constantly push fear porn. It's not healthy for people to always be in a state of fear. It's a system overload. They shut down and stop living. People become too tired to care about saving their society. So the zombie apocalypse is just around the corner. But before that moment comes to fruition, let me know on Twitter X what sign of a failing state I missed. My handle there is at Memory Hole Show. And if you wanted to avoid the zombies coming after you, speak up or you'll get bit by a zombie in the memory hole. All content from the MemoryHoleShow.com and the Memory Hole Show podcast is for the purpose of entertainment and presented solely as opinion.